The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks once again for joining us here on Winning Ponies. Big week on tap. Big days, I should say, at Belmont Park. Just loaded with stakes both Friday and Saturday. Of course, Saturday, the third jewel, the triple crown, the Belmont stakes, a million and a half up for grabs, and nobody is dodging anybody. We've got a full field. They're going to try to get that one and a half miles. We'll run down the field here in a little bit. Just want to let you know who our guests are this week. Uh, Claire Novak, we've had her on the show before. Uh, she's an award-winning uh, writer, uh, currently working with the, the Blood Horse. She's got plenty of experience, and she brought that experience to the Big Apple. So she has been on the backstretch at Belmont Park, and she'll give us some insight as to some of the top runners that will be p- performing there this weekend, particularly the Belmont Horses. And then uh, one of our favorite uh, handicappers, outstanding Eclipse Award-winning writer, Marty McGee, will be with us. One of the great things about landing Marty for this show is the fact that he won his Eclipse Award for a story that he wrote on Keith and Kent DeSormo. Now, if you've been reading the racing papers, you know that Kent uh, has admitted uh, that he's uh, relapsed into his uh, alcoholism. Uh, He actually admitted himself to a rehab center last week. He is out and in New York. Uh, He did a work exaggerator on Tuesday. Kind of an interesting work. We're going to go into that later. But uh, it's just a fantastic story that Marty wrote. So he's going to give us some insights uh, into the relationship between the DeSormo brothers. Uh, nobody wrote a better story about those two guys th- than Marty. And, of course, Marty's known to go to a window every now and then, so he's one heck of a handicapper. And uh, we will be uh, looking at uh, several stakes uh, in addition to the Belmont. Okay, well, folks, it's contest time. That's right. Go to winningponies.com. Uh, we've got uh, – this is pretty cute – 12 prizes for 12 furlongs. First prize, $150 of cash in your pocket. And then it, the second through the sixth uh, place finishers will have uh, Winning Ponies credits put into your account. Or if you don't have one, you can start one and we'll put the credits in your account. And then uh, winners 7 through 12 are going to get a Winning Ponies baseball cap. And whoever comes up with the final time at this mile and a half is going to win a Winning Ponies t-shirt. We are going to take entries on the contest right up till 6 o'clock on Belmont Day this Saturday. So go to the site, check it out. It's free. It doesn't cost anything to get in. And you could be walking away with 
115 cash or some valuable winning ponies, winning credits that you can use to pull down the easy win forms. And if you pulled them down last week, you pulled down some pretty good winners all over the country. A couple of them right there at Belmont uh, on the 30th, the $1 Super Box paid $6,246. And uh, just the other day on the 5th, the $1 Super Key also returning over $6,000. In the middle of the country, Churchill Downs, a $1 Super 5 Key returned 2967 in the southern climbs at Gulfstream, we had a 50-cent pick five that paid 2699 So with all these great stakes races at Belmont Park, huge pools, you'll be able to get in there, get those easy win forms. Okay, uh, Exaggerator, he drew post 11 and was installed as the 9-to-5 morning line favorite for the 148th running of the Belmont Stakes this Saturday. A field of 13 were entered, which drew a total of seven Colts that have also run in the Kentucky Derby. I've got some interesting stats about races leading up to the Belmont and uh, their significance. So uh, let's uh, take a look at your horses. From the inside, you've got Governor Malibu with Joel Rosario in the saddle at 12-1. to 1. Then you have track record setter Destin uh, in the Tampa Bay Derby. He did set the track record down there. Uh, Destin break from number two. It's six to one. And the big closer, Cherry Wine, of course, closed good enough to nip Nyquist at the wire in the Preakness Stakes. He is set at ten to one. I'm sorry, uh, eight to one. Then at ten to one is sudden breaking news. Jockey change here. Mike Smith is going to ride for Donnie Von Hemmel. Then you've got Stradivari, Johnny V getting the call, five to one. Gettysburg, Paco Lopez, long shot, thirty to one. Dallas Stewart coming in with two horses that are eligible for non-winners of two. They're both thirty to one, seeking the soul and forever Dioro. And then you've got uh, Trojan Nation also at thirty to one. The Japanese representative Lanny at ten to one. Already stated Exaggerator, 9-5. to five. It'll be interesting to see how the outside post affects Exaggerator. Uh, then you've got Bluegrass winner Brody's Cause at 20-1. to one. And Creator, Jockey Change here, Irad Ortiz Jr. at 10-1. to one. Now, if for some reason you can't be near a television, our friends at Horse Racing Radio Network will be able to get the uh, broadcast to you. Uh, they're going to cover... Starting at 2 o'clock, they will be on site at the Belmont. They're going to have five graded stakes on the undercard, including the two winning your in programs for the Breeders' Cup, and uh, can be heard either on Sirius XM Channel 93, or you can go to www.horseracingradio.net. Good luck to our friends at that great team, Eclipse Award winners. Now, again, I did state that earlier that uh, Kent DeSormo has admitted that he's going to be fighting alcoholism. I'm not sure if he's going to put himself in after the Belmont, but I do know he did go in for a while, um, and he uh, is out and in New York right now. He says, I'm in full understanding of the depth of my problem, and I'm going to address it professionally. I used to be an avid golfer, and I'm going to take up golf again. If you look me up in two years, I promise you I will be an avid golfer once again and put my body in motion 
and stay busy. His uh, brother did comment on it, and he said he's much more concerned and interested in Kent's well-being than his brother's presence in New York to ride the horse, according to a family friend. So we'll be chiming in with Marty McGee and find out more about the DeSormo. All right, well, while you're handicapping it, take in some of these accounts. We'll just use the last 25 years of the Belmont, going back to, to 91. The average odds of the Belmont winner has been 12 to 1. And there have been four instances where the winner was 25 to 1 or greater. Five favorites, only five favorites, have won in the last 25 years. And six horses went off at even money or less. Only last year's winner, American Pharaoh, prevailed. And uh, when considering uh, favorites, remember that not too many have won. It will be interesting. Uh, let's take a look, for exaggerator's sake, at Preakness winners in the Belmont Stakes. Uh, Preakness winners have won the Belmont five times from 19 attempts in the last 25 editions. Uh, Preakness winners have placed in the top three 11 times in those 19 attempts. And of the 15 Preakness winners from 91 through 2015 who did not also win the Kentucky Derby, which is exaggerator, 10 went on to compete in the Belmont Stakes with four of those 10 getting the job done at the mile-and-a-half distance. So uh, where do they come from? Well, nine Belmont Stakes winners made their previous start in the Preakness. Seven made their previous start in the Kentucky Derby. And five Belmont winners came directly out of the Peter Pan Stakes. So you might want to remember the name, Governor Malibu, who just missed by three-quarters of a length. I wonder if he was prepping for this race. So those are some interesting facts. Uh, Twenty of the last 25 winners of the Belmont were within five lengths of the pace after the first mile. Very important. Everybody feels that these big closers are just going to relish a mile and a half. That is not the case. I uh, spoke to Jay Pribman about that last week. And only three times in the last 25 years was the winner more than five lengths back with a half mile remaining in the race. The interesting thing is this race looks pretty much devoid of speed. You don't see anybody who, uh, on a regular basis, likes to go to the front and try to play catch me if you can. So uh, we'll be weighing in with Marty to see who he thinks uh, is going to do that. Also, Claire, I'm sure, will have uh, some input on that, too. Okay, uh, the boys are going to be at Belmont. How about our girl Songbird? She's getting ready to come back. Of course, she was last year's two-year-old champion, and she worked a bullet out at Santa Anita under regular rider Mike Smith. The time equaled the fastest of nine drills at the distance, galloping out six furlongs in 128. Jerry Hollendorfer, very happy, said it's a very nice work. And it looks like the June 18th summertime Oaks is possible for Songbird's first start since her last win, April 9th, in the Santa Anita Oaks. Well, we're going to have some great, great racing coming up this weekend. Uh, we did uh, do some capping last week. And let's take a look at the, at the outcome of that. We went to Santa Anita, since we had Jay Priffman on, and we started with the Vanity Mile, and this case was a laugher. Beholder, 
off at one to five, and obviously deservedly so when she hit the wire. The six-year-old mare just raided in second with Gary Stevens in the saddle, took the lead into the turn, and won under a hand ride. It was an unbelievably easy race. Uh, in second was Stellar Wind, the easiest exacta of the year, perhaps. And in the third spot at 12 to 1 was Finest City. And then a uh, win in your in race. We're going to see more of those now as we uh, get into the meat of the season. The Shoemaker Mile. And the winner was Midnight Storm, a great ride by Rafael Bejarano. Put him out on the lead. Now, this horse was coming out of a solid work. That was the hint. He just nursed the lead all the way around. All of a sudden, Tourist put in a huge run, the Mott Trainee. But Midnight Storm would not give it up and held sway over Tourist and 2020 Vision. So those were the races that we handicapped with Jay Privman last week. Again, coming up uh, after uh, Claire Novak, um, who's at the Belmont. We're going to do the Belmont with Marty McGee. Also, we've got the Ogden Phipps. I don't know how he's going to separate uh, those fillies and mares. And then uh, winning your in for the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, the Metropolitan Handicap brought together a stellar field. If we have time, we're going to try to get to the Woodford Reserve Manhattan. That's a huge race with a big field. But right now, we're getting ready to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with award-winning writer Claire Novak. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. 
All right, and with me is Claire Novak, who I like to call the fourth jewel of the Triple Crown, and she has been uh, covering all three jewels of the Triple Crown. Uh, of course, uh, Claire's been all over and is a popular writer. Uh, she's written for the New York Times, ESPN the Magazine, ESPN.com, the Associated Press, NBC Sports. Uh, she's a staff writer and correspondent for the Blood Horse down there with a lot of very good people she surrounds herself with. So uh, with no further ado, uh, let's bring in Claire Novak. How are you doing, Claire? Hey, John. I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good. We've, we've had a great stretch of, uh, of weather, and I just got done with five days of farm sitting uh, over by Steve Cawthon's place in Walton, Kentucky. So, you know, I got, got, got some hands-on stuff. Now, you're an equestrian yourself. Every now and then I'll see a picture of you uh, up on horseback. Uh, how are you and your pony doing? Uh, we're doing great. Bob is actually out at Central Kentucky riding for Hope, where he is a therapeutic riding horse. And so I haven't seen him much during this Triple Crown, but I always enjoy uh, getting out there to visit him and teach some lessons out there. I think it's a great program. So he's he's getting up there, but he still is giving back. So that's what's important. Well, the last time I actually saw you, you were on horseback, and now, as you know, the, the media has changed uh, for journalists. It's not just about sitting down at what I remember was a typewriter. I'll say a keyboard, but right now it's so interactive and uh, so many platforms uh, like uh, the, the Racing Forum and the Blood Horse also have interactive uh, video. So you've kind of gone from uh, print journalist, and, and now you're doing uh, videos. I see you with my good friend Tom Lamara, who I'm going to be with uh, on Saturday. Uh, but at, wh- what were you doing at the Derby? Last time I saw you were uh, on the backstretch up on a pony. Well, that was a lot of fun. That was an opportunity for us to bring the viewers a little bit uh, behind the scenes to talk about some of the ponies on the backstretch at Churchill Downs and some of those ponies who are associated with, as in that video, the Kentucky Derby contenders. And, of course, uh, the pony that you saw me riding, which is Fat Tire, that's the stable pony for Doug O'Neill, although Lava Man is definitely their more famous stable pony, but Satire traveled with Nyquist to Kentucky and uh, also to Baltimore. And as a matter of fact, even though Nyquist is back in California, Satire is here in New York with uh, Doug O'Neill's runners that are getting ready for the weekend stakes on the undercard. So that was a fun opportunity to talk about some horses who aren't necessarily thoroughbreds, but are still seen around the track and seen on TV and let people know a little bit about what they do and get some footage of them. So that was kind of just a cool opportunity that I didn't know exactly if I would be able to you know, actually ride him for part of the video, but it turned out that Team O'Neill was kind enough to let us do that, and I thought it added a lot to the video. And, of course, any time that I can get on a horse, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I believe it was around Preakness time. I, I, I saw you at the head of a uh, humongous Clydesdale. Yes. Uh, that was actually the idea of Ann Eberhardt, who's our visuals director, and uh, she had the great idea to do something on the Budweiser Clydesdales, uh, just because they're kind of a fixture out there at the Preakness, and they usually stop by, uh, and people get a chance to go up and get up close and personal with them, and, you know, they're such inspiring 
animals are so big and yet gentle, and just the teamwork that goes into pulling off that hitch is pretty amazing. So that video, we purposefully made it kind of like a almost a day in the life type of experience where, you know, you see the people come up and get to have the tour on the backside and see the Clydesdales getting braided up and getting harnessed up and then going out to the track and doing their performance and then coming home. So that was a lot of fun. They are awesome. And, you know, uh, for our listeners, if you've never been next to a Clydesdale and you get the chance, do it. It's unbelievable how massive they are. They are. They're absolutely ginormous, and I'm 5'10", so I'm not a small person, but they even dwarf me. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've got a chance to see them perform uh, many times at at Keeneland, and it is amazing because there are parameters that you have to have to be pulling that wagon, and that's four white socks and and a nice white blaze, and if not, uh, they uh, uh, are available. A friend of mine actually inherited uh, a Budweiser Clydesdale because it only had uh, three white socks. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I did not know that, but uh, I suppose there are standards for everything in life, John. (laughs) Well, he said it's like riding on a couch. <laughs> They're so big. But uh, uh, let, let's uh, let's uh, move forward right now. Um, got about seven minutes left. I just kind of want a quick thumbnail sketch of your impression of the Kentucky Derby. Ah, the Kentucky Derby. Well, of course, uh, it was very exciting to see Nyquist win. And, uh, you know, whenever we go in with all the buzz of a favorite like that, I think it's nice. Of course, sometimes you'll have an upset that might be even more exciting, like a mind that bird year. Uh, but no, I was just happy for, uh, you know, the connections. Everything was just a nice story and, uh, the race was safe and easily, you know, everything went off well. So it was a nice day. And even the undercard, you know, there were some pretty talented horses that performed on the undercard and, uh, also on Kentucky Oaks Day, so it was a good weekend to see, you know, the likes of Catherine Sophia, who's going to be coming back here this weekend in the Acorn, um, you know, and then Teppin, who's running on Tuesday at Royal Ascot, uh, you know, just some really talented horses that were part of that weekend, not just the Derby, but, you know, the undercard races as well. Well, before we get to the Belmont, fast forward to your impressions of the Preakness Stakes. Oh, my goodness, the Preakness. So when I wrote about it for uh, my magazine story, I said it, you know, it almost seemed like nature was trying to bring back a a second triple crown in a row because if you recall for American Pharaoh's Preakness, of course, there was a total monsoon. And so it was just crazy that he won in, in that type of weather. And then you had the same exact type of weather, not quite as bad, but definitely pouring and drenching everyone right before the race. Uh, and then, of course, that set up great for Exaggerator to, you know, run through the slop and, and defeat Nyquist. So that was a very interesting upset. Um, and I think that Exaggerator still, you know, needs to prove to people that he's as good of a horse on a dry track as he is on an off track. And right now, we did have some rain out here in New York on Wednesday. Uh, but today was a really nice day. It was a very strong wind going all day long, so I think that, you know, the track definitely at this point in time, I'm not sure of the exact forecast, but I haven't heard any horrible um, rumblings of thunderstorms coming in this way, so, you know, that will be interesting to see how that factors into the Belmont. 
It will be. Now, I don't know if you were able to catch it or not, but there's mixed reviews about Exaggerator's workout the other day. Um, Mike Welsh from the Daily Racing Forum uh, said that he had concern with uh, the way Exaggerator kind of moved on the turn, but mostly it was after he hit the wire that he appeared to kind of uh, bear out a bit. On the other hand, Keith DeSormo said, wow, I loved it, great work. Uh, what have you been hearing about that? I'm sure there were, there's two sides to that story. Yeah, well, actually, he worked um, while I was in the air on my way to New York, so I did not get to see it in person. I did hear that he threw a shoe in a gallop uh, the day before, but I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Uh, like you said, Keith seemed pretty happy. He seemed relatively you know, relaxed for himself. Uh, he does get a little bit anxious, just you know, hoping everything goes right every morning with his horses, but he hasn't seemed overly brisk or um, wanting to not talk to the media or anything like that. I, um, I'm not quite sure as far as the work itself, but I can tell you that having been around Exaggerator the past couple of days since getting into town, um, he's definitely a horse who's feeling his oats and feeling very good. He's jumping around a lot. He's bucking. He's playing. He's you know, doing that skittering thing where horses kind of bolt forward when you're walking them on the lead shank. So he's definitely very full of himself and feeling quite good. And he had his normal walk day today, which is something that Keith will do. He'll work, and then he'll jog, and then he'll walk. And uh, so he did not go to the track. And this morning Keith said to us, I'm going to call an audible. He might train tomorrow. He might not. We're going to see how much energy he has. That was around 9.30 in the morning. By 5 o'clock this afternoon, uh, the Naira Notes team put out a note that Exaggerator is going to train tomorrow morning. So whether or not he worked uh, extremely well or not with the bearing out situation, um, he's definitely feeling his oats and, and on on the muscle. A couple of other horses up here who have also been extremely on the muscle Um Creator, if you watch our news update today on bloodhorse.com, you can see the footage of him coming off the turn this morning and just pretty much playing around being ranked, trying to run off down the stretch, and then his rider was able to talk him down out of that, uh, you know, misbehavior, and he just had a very powerful gallop. So he looked really, um, really good and really strong this morning, although coming out of the turn, I didn't like what I saw because he almost ran off with the rider. So kudos <laughs> to whoever was up on that horse. And then Governor Malibu um, has also looked really good in his morning training and is really coming into himself. And that's a horse for Christophe Lamont, who obviously took a very successful pass using the Peter Pan stakes, which Governor Malibu ran second in. And uh, in 2014, Tonalist won that and then won the Belmont. Yeah, and uh, I believe we've had at least five winners of the Belmont come out of the Peter Pan. So, uh, you know, and I, I stated earlier, maybe uh, maybe the Peter Pan was a tune-up. I mean, he sure put in a, you know, a heck of a race. And also, it looks like Governor Malibu has that tactical speed. Now, I've only got about two minutes left, Claire, but how do you see the race checking uh, shaping up? Because, really, it's, there's more late closers in here than, than horses with speed. Well, I think there's been plenty of talk about Gettysburg being entered in the race and the fact that you know he might be a horse to go out there on the front end as basically a rabbit for um, 
creator and for exaggerator, who both uh, are also owned in part by Windstar Farm, and uh, as you know, Gettysburg is. Uh, Stradivari is also a horse who has won both of his races from uh, on, just on, or on the pace. And uh, so he might be somebody you see more forwardly placed. I actually ended up picking Cherry Wine, who is more of a deep closer, but he has proven in earlier races um, to be able to come from a little bit closer. Uh, I just think that he's he's definitely improving, and I think that he's much more talented than we've seen from him yet. But like you said with Governor Malibu, you like the fact that he can have that more tactical type of speed to lay from off the pace and then close but not be too far back. And so I definitely think he's a horse who's dangerous here. And you know what else I'm very interested to see are some horses like Sudden Breaking News, who is closing like a freight train in the Derby, closed extremely well in the Arkansas Derby to run second. And then a horse like Lonnie, who has just steadily moved up from his Derby to his Preakness. And if you go back and watch his Preakness run, he was all over the place coming off the turn. He gets behind a horse, he gets stopped, he gets swung out, he bears in, and finally when the jockey gets him into the clear, then he starts building his momentum, building his momentum, and he actually closes pretty well. Uh, He's definitely a horse who's bred to get the distance. His connections have been pointing him for this race basically all along, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if he sneaks in there with a big run. I'm not sure if he has enough class to get the job done, but I'll be very interested to see how he runs on Saturday. Well, I do know he has the foundation. He spends about 45 minutes after he leaves his stall with his exercise rider. So, uh, Claire, thanks for your insight. Uh, You know, uh, you're very upbeat. Sounds like you're having a good time in, in the Big Apple, and I wish you nothing but the best on Belmont Day. It's chock full of steaks. It is, and we're going to be covering every single one of them. So go to bloodhorse.com to check out all of our coverage. And everybody can always follow me on Twitter, which is dh underscore C Novak. All right. Claire Novak with the Blood Horse has been with us. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, my main man, Marty McGee out of Louisville, will be joining us. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. Leave the bitch's ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, 
self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with us now, no stranger to Winning Ponies, Marty McGee. One of the top writers and handicappers for the Daily Racing Forum. Born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. He's been at the Forum since 1992, following six and a half years as a handicapper and racing writer in the sports department of the Baltimore Sun, which uh, gave him a good connection with a young rider back then by the name of Kent DeSormo. Of course, uh, Marty's been the chief correspondent for the Forum at Keeneland and Churchill Downs for 22 years. Uh, he's covered uh, stories in more than 15 states, and he's attended the last 43 runnings of the Kentucky Derby in his hometown. So, Marty, I guess that means you went to your first Kentucky Derby when you were about three. Uh, you're almost right, John, except my dad wouldn't let me go until I was in high school, so I was 14 when I first got to go. You know, they, uh, Wave TV here in Louisville, the NBC affiliate, my very first year, the 74 running, uh, one by candidate, I was actually interviewed on television in the infield. And I broke my neck trying to find footage of that, and I could not. And I just, when, when my 40th derby was coming up, and uh, I, I actually went to the very top, and he said that all that footage had been lost. Somehow, this week, I, I know they've got all the Ali footage from way back when. I don't know why they wouldn't have kept the 100th derby footage, but they didn't. So, I mean, I would just love to get my hands on that and put that out on Twitter. Well, I I was there that day myself uh, for that huge field. Uh, Marty, again, I I alluded to your time back at at Maryland. Uh, It's been a big story this week before we start breaking down any of the great races at at, at Belmont. Um, Your Eclipse Award, uh, Conflicting Views, um, was uh, one of the greatest things I ever read, and I had the chance to tell you that, that, that I believe the day I read it uh, down there at, at Keeneland, I said, man, you're going to win the Eclipse Award. And for once I picked a winner, I was right about that one. Um, and, uh, but this uh, story kind of took you to different places because uh, I believe originally you were kind of pointing towards a story on Keith and then all of a sudden Kent became an integral part of it. Can you kind of walk us through that Eclipse Award winning article? Well, this was back in the winter and spring of night of 2013, and of course, I had known the the Kent and Keith from my days in Maryland in the late 1980s. Kent came there in in '86 as a 16 year old bug boy, and Keith kind of followed him a couple years later. Once Kent got a foothold there, and and Keith was, I think, uh, between semesters in college. And anyway, I I got to know him back there. We played a lot of mostly basketball together, and. Um, so fast forward to, to the winter and spring of 2013, and Keith had his first notable 
three-year-old contender on the derby trail horse named I've Struck a Nerve. And I, I really, I was back here in Louisville and kind of doing some spot assignments. And uh, my brother, as you know, goes to fairgrounds every year. And I uh, uh, proposed to my boss I go down there and maybe do a little piece on Keith. Well, I get down there and the horse gets hurt. And in the meantime, um, we had just, I'd kind of kicked it around with him. Why is your brother Kent not riding this horse? Because forever, um, Kent and Keith had teamed together whenever, whenever possible. So, you know, the, the gist of the story was that, that Keith was, was not real happy with Kent and how he'd been doing with, with drinking and things like that. And he told me a lot of things off the record. And, uh, you know, he trusted me to go on the record with certain things. And then, uh, ultimately I went to, um, went to their house, to their mom and dad's house there in Maurice, about close to three hours away west of New Orleans when I was down there. And then when I got back home, and then uh, Kent happened to be riding at Gulfstream. You know, he hadn't ridden much at Gulfstream over the years, but this was one winter in particular, and he was not doing well. Guys like Dale Austin, uh, Dale Austin, Dale Romans, and uh, Billy Mott and Kenny McPeak, all who had ridden him quite a bit over the years, especially in New York, um, had stopped riding him. So... Um, spent about three hours with Kent one day, actually in a bar, and uh, did an interview there, and then put all took a lot of work to put the story together, and a lot of recollections, and a lot of uh, phone interviews with other people, and, and the story came together real nice. So, you know, I, I think it, it's so germane right now, John. And the reason that it's topical is obviously the they won the Preakness together, and and since the Preakness, uh, Kent revealed that he actually went into a brief rehab. I don't know how that works. You know, I, I haven't really read much about it or, or seen much about it. But to, to more or less admit that, um, you know, his his problems with alcohol, his battles with alcohol have become uh, pretty tough to, to tough to deal with. And, uh, you know, I don't know how his marriage is going to, to a young girl named Rosie. I think it's been about four or five years now because they had just gotten married when I did the story. But uh, anyway, I, I think there's a lot of personal interest in... And Keith and Kent, I think the world of both of them, I think that Keith has uh, really been able to showcase his intellect and his, uh, you know, I like to say he doesn't panic. He's just really a cool customer, and and I'm really proud of the way he's handling himself through this whole uh, Triple Crown trail with exaggerators. So, anyway, that's that's pretty much the, the whole deal about the story I wrote about him. Well, you know, I, you know, I, I do think. Let's face it. You know, with, with all the big races that that that, that Kent's won, you know, he's he's uh, certainly had the spotlight uh, shine on him quite a bit over his career, deservedly so. And I think it's kind of neat for Keith to maybe step out into the sun and you know get get his chance um, to be recognized for the horseman that he is. And as you know, these things can steamroll, and all of a sudden, big. Horses, uh, big owners and breeders start coming your way going, man, you know, this guy trained a classic winner. Let me give him a second look. Uh, I, I, did you get the feel in, in the Preakness that there was some awkwardness between the two brothers? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I, I guess there is. You know, my brother, I wouldn't say my brother and I are all lovey-dovey. I mean, we don't. People might say that if they observed us from afar, you know, in the cocoon of you know, 90 seconds or whatever they were on, on TV there after the race. But, uh, you know, I know there is a lot of love there. I, I really broke it down a long time with Keith about what he feels about his little brother and everything, and there's there's no shortage of love there. 
it's just, uh, you know, they just had some fundamental disagreements as to how they should go about handling their lives. You know, there's alcoholism in my family, and I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to, to deal uh, with people who just can't help themselves. And maybe Kent is to that, uh, has gotten to that point. But you know what? He, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's really one of the really uh, hard points in, in the story that I wrote is like, Look, man, you know, I've done this my whole life, I, and I still get up in the morning, I do my job, and and the results show in what I do in the afternoon. So there's something to be said for that, too. You know, everybody who pops open the top on a beer isn't an alcoholic. So, um, you know, there, it just really, I, I, it really was, was a thought-provoking kind of situation that I, hopefully I brought out the, those kinds of things. Well, I'll certainly, you know, wish him nothing but the best, and I, I, I hope that, uh, that that he wins the struggle this time and is able to put it behind him. It's 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 got to be tough going public with it when you're on such a big stage. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's very humbling, I'm sure, and you know, I'm sh- I would assume that there are some things that have gone on in the background that have brought him to this point, otherwise he probably wouldn't have, and it wouldn't be a, uh, an issue. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all for him. I, you know, I'm not... Kent made the point in the story I wrote, he goes, you go to these meetings, and all of a sudden you got 3,000 best friends, and they're all saying, you need anything, can I help you? And he's like, no, nah, you know, I'm okay. So, you know, I'm not going to be the kind of guy to send him a text saying, Kent, you need anything? So, um, you know, he, he's just going to have to deal with it. He's he's a big boy. You know, he's won a whole lot of races. He's 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 done a whole lot of things in his 46 years or whatever. So, you know, uh, hopefully he's going to be able to work this out in whatever way he needs to. Well, just another in the great line of those uh, North American Cajun riders that came out of the belly of Louisiana. We're talking with Marty McGee from the Daily Racing Forum. Well, Marty, the big story uh, is the 148th Belmont Stakes. And obviously, uh, as impressive as Exaggerator was in uh, uh, defeating the previously undefeated Nyquist um, at uh, the Preakness, uh, nobody feels like he's the next superstar just because he beat the big horse. Uh, we, we got a big old field that's going to go in the gate trying to go a mile and a half. As you know, that's always the first time they've gone the distance. 99% of them will unless they turn into a grass horse, will never go this distance again. And we've got some interesting angles, but I think that the main angle is um, the field is so full of, of late closers, so it looks like we've got maybe some new players in here uh, that might you know, go to the front and try to nurse the lead. Or, do you think there, there's anybody in here? Exaggerator could be an example where they're going to tweak him up a little bit because he's shown in his past that, that he can attest the pace and, and still be a solid horse. Um, how, how do you see this race developing? Because right now I just I can't figure out how it's going to set up. Well, as you know, uh, Windstar Farm, who has Creator in there, a, a dead closer, chose to go ahead and enter Gettysburg. He's number six, and he's definitely going to be the speed in there. So... Uh, Elliot Walden and them didn't actually come out and say he's our rabbit, but it's pretty evident on paper that yeah, that's the way it's going to set up. So they even they even turned him over to Asmussen to to kind of alleviate some of the conflicts that were going on with the, with him having he would have been a third horse for Pletcher. But anyway, 
they've made Exaggerator 9 to 5 on the morning line. John, I'm dead certain he will be lower than that. I was thinking more like even money and, and all that because of all of the two prior Triple Crown races, he's been a star. I mean, he, he was the only one close to Nyquist at the end, and then he dominated the Preakness. And, you know, all these other horses are, are not proven to that degree. So I, I think that he's really a stick out in the race. I'm not saying he's a sense to win, but he is my pick. And I think he'll definitely be lower than 9-5. to five. As far as the, the pace, I think that it's going to serve um, Strata very well for him to just kind of lope along in behind Gettysburg, his former Pletcher stablemate. And I think that Kent is going to do all he can to get a, a kind of a mid-pack loping you know, in the Preakness, he really got him into a smooth uh, rhythm on the backside, and I'm sure that's going to be his goal as soon as they break, is just getting out there smooth in it. And uh, once this horse kicks, I, I know your kick in a mile and a half has got to be different than it is in those shorter races, but I think that he's got the talent to go on and be right there at the port pole and take it on home. Yeah, and, and uh, as I stated earlier, I read off some statistics, and um, you have to be near the lead or on it turning for home to win the Belmont. You know, everybody sees these horses make these late kicks and go, oh, he's my mile-and-a-half horse, and it just never happens. I mean, if you're out of it by, at the half-mile pole, you're out of it. Well, I wouldn't say never, I mean, but rarely is, is a better word. I, I remember Creme Fresh coming from pretty far out of it. I remember Caveat, uh, Editor's Note. But, yes, they are few and far to far between generally speaking you need to be there close just you know like uh two years ago in california chrome he they had the right idea he was right there turning for home he just couldn't cook it kick it late but but if you watch repo that race tonalist and the commissioner they were all right there turning for home and i think that's a function of pace now maybe john with this bigger field and with the inclusion of gettysburg they might string out a little bit more than they would have otherwise uh, it's going to be very interesting, and I'm sure that somewhere in the top three, you're going to get a solid double-digit horse to kind of help the, the trifecta along. Well, it, it's an amazing undercard. Uh, there's one race that, that, that doesn't have a full field, but it is so full of talent, Marty, and that's uh, the, the, uh, the Ogden Phipps. It's a win in the year in for the Breeders' Cup distaff. You look down here, and you just see all these, you know, unbelievable millionaire horses that have taken turns beating each other in Stop Charging Maria, uh, Cavorting Carolina, uh, Sheer Drama, and certainly, even though she hasn't raced against most of those, Forever Unbridled comes in off a three-race win scheme. I want to know, who does Marty McGee like in this race, or is this one where I know you like to do multiple races. Do you almost wheel this field? I don't know. I, I thought Carolina, even though the, the La Troyan really wasn't that great of a grade one this year with engagingly having her on second, I thought she was awesome on, on Oaks Day. So, um, And also, we've seen Cavorting really run big races. I think she's really going to help with the pace. I'm talking about Cavorting. Uh, Carumbo, I think, will be close. Uh, stop charging Maria had to have needed her last race at, at Keeneland. I mean, she's got to take a big step forward. I, when it's said and done, I think Todd Pletcher is going to be in the winner's circle here. I'm more confident in Carolina than stop charging Maria, but I think one of those two are, are going to really move forward from their one starts this year and, and run big in their second. 
Yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be an amazing race. And again, you, you know, it, it, it's hard to knock sheer drama if you could just you know throw out uh, her La Troyan where she was favored, and it does say she was steadied and was on the rail, and then went four wide. Uh, We'll see if that was an excuse race or not, but there's just so many in this field of taking turns beating each other. It's it's just quality uh, laden. Of course, uh, what is now called the Mohegan Sun Metropolitan Handicap will be run, and as you know, over the 123 years, this race has produced uh, some absolutely awesome horses, many that have gone on to become uh, great sires in their own right. Um, how do you, how do you look at the, what I believe used to be called the Matt Mile? Because um, you've got uh, horses coming from everywhere, and uh, you know Karen McLaughlin could be holding a, a very solid hand in, uh, in in Frosted and this Tamar Coos, if that's how you say it, absolutely loves the one mile distance. Has won over a million dollars running a mile during his career, though he's six years old. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that Frosted makes his return from Dubai in this race. Uh, he's, you know, he, he got a lot of notoriety last year chasing Frosted, and then he ran a decent race against California Chrome over there in in, in Dubai. Uh, there's some prize horses in here. John Donworth, he's been real well regarded. He's twenty to one on the line. You've got Upstart, who's who was one of the favorites for the Derby real early last year down in Florida. He's twenty to one on the line. Uh, Todd purposely skipped the Pimlico Special with Stanford. Um, I thought that Noble Bird. I think he's going to be underlaid. He's got he got a huge buyer number in winning this Pimlico Special by half a pole. He got a one ten. I think he bounces off of that, and he'll be only about four to one. He's going to he's going to take a lot more pace pressure in here than he than he did in the uh, in the race at Pimlico. So um, Amy Slatter was extremely. Visually impressive, I thought, and winning on Bluegrass Day at Keeneland. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of, you, you mentioned uh, Tamar Coos. He's 20 to 1. Calculator, I thought, ran big on Derby Day. And, uh, I, you know, if it, it push came to shove in here, I'm going to go with Kieran with both Frosted and Marking, who's outside. I think he's going to get a real good trip. He's, he's got some sneaky good form. He was really well-regarded well regarded last fall uh, when he went embarking on his career. So, I would have to go with, uh, you know, again, Kieran in both these spots with maybe a little calculator thrown in. Well, uh, all I can say is uh, this is a good race to get together with some friends and say, hey, we need to pool our money if we're going to play the exotics in here. Because uh, all, all the horses you just mentioned, even though many of them are 20 to 1, have legitimate credentials. I mean, uh, there's no slouches. You know, the, this race has a, a such great historic value to it. Um, you know, and it is a one-mile around one turn. For those that don't know, uh, Big Sandy at Belmont is so huge. Uh, this would be a six-furlong <laughs> race uh, at most uh, other tracks. Well, Marty, thanks for keeping the pace with me. Got uh, a few more minutes left. I don't know if you had a chance to look at the uh, Woodford Reserve Manhattan but wow, this is another yeah. race with a with a full field that's just coming from all kinds of angles, and uh, it's kind of like Chad Brown has been the new go to guy for people coming in from Europe. Yeah, I mean this is another one where you've got when you see twenty one on a horse, you go what? 
So, you know, I'm pulling for Buff in here. I'm, I'm sure you, you know, you know Susie real well, Susie Oldham, and they're, she's real good friends with the, with uh, Buff Bradley and his family. I thought Devisa Darrow ran so big on Derby Day and in, in winning the other uh, Woodford Reserve, the, the Turf Classic. And the two or three times I've talked to Buff about this horse in the interim, he says, man, I, I just need to keep him as good as he's doing when I take him up there in New York. So I, I think that Devisa Darrow is going to be real tough. Obviously, the horse just is inside. Flintshire was just like that good. Summer. He's back on Lasix today. Actually, I think it's his first time on Lasix. He didn't have Lasix uh, up in Saratoga last summer, but he's he's a Chad horse for Judd Mont, and you know Chad was going to hold him out until Saratoga this summer, but he decided to go on. He, the horse is just doing so good; he thought he'd run him. So, you know, they played him eight to five on the line, and that's about right, I think. But there's a number of other horses in here. You know, Big Blue Kitten; he's the champion in this division, and he had to have needed that race in the turf classic on Derby day. So I, I would expect him to move forward for Chad and, and, uh, take the stand around huge down in, uh, Louisiana I was down there for the Louisiana Derby. He just ran off the TV screen and Billy Mott's got him. He's 15 one on the line for Rosario. So I'd probably, probably take the two bottom horses, those being Devisa Darrow and Flintshire and then maybe shake them up and, and some tries and supers with, with a couple of the other horses I've mentioned. Well, certainly, uh, I'll, I'll be rooting with my heart in here. As you know, uh, just two weeks ago, uh, Fred Bradley, uh, Buff's father, uh, passed away. Uh, and this, this would probably take some of the sting out of that uh, with the Versadero winning. And he's such an excellent horseman, and he just lets things come to him. And Prado's been in the saddle for the last three starts, all graded stakes races. The last race was very impressive in the Turf Classic at Churchill Downs. Uh, Prado will be back up. I don't know, you know, at this distance, you know, a mile and a quarter uh, on the weeds uh, that uh, the post position is really going to matter. Of course, we all know what Kitten's Joys can do on the grass. So I I know I'll I'll certainly be rooting for uh, Diversadero. Hopefully my weight on the horse uh, isn't going to slow him down any. Uh, But uh, it's an interesting race, Marty, as far as the, the pace scenario. I guess maybe that would go to Grand Tito? I guess so. I think World Approval maybe can be up there. He was pretty close in the, in the race on Derby Day. Um, but a lot of these horses are kind of stalkers or closers. Take the stand. He'll be early coming off of, you know, what amounts to about, what, a 10-week layoff from, from Louisiana Derby Day. So he'll be up there. There'll be enough pace. And, you know, I think that's one thing that is kind of uh, concerning to, to Buff, whether or not, this horse is going to have enough pace because it seems like whenever there's not enough, he doesn't really kick, and when there is, he he comes flying home. So, um, you know, but but I think there's enough in there. You got the horse triple threat; he's in there. He's got some some pace to him too. Yeah, yeah. If you if you just put a, a line through his last race, which was an aberration because a horse went down and he had to jump him, and so you just gotta yeah. you gotta throw that one out. But, uh, Marty, I want to thank you so much for spending as much time as you have with us uh, this evening. It's just it's going to be a sensational card. I, I got to guess you're kind of, uh, as, as a handicapper that's been known to go a window every now and then, you've got to be licking your chops for Saturday. Oh, yeah, I get paid tomorrow and everything else. I'm going to have a pocket full of money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run it up, John. <laughs> All right. Well, we've been talking with Eclipse Award winning uh, Marty McGee. Uh, Marty, 
You're the best, man. Thanks a lot, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best, and I uh, hope some of these uh, big price horses uh, come in on your ticket. All right. Thanks for having me, John. Always a pleasure. Thanks. All right. Uh, Marty McGee, great guy and certainly knows what he's talking about, as you just heard. Don't forget, at winningponies.com, 12 prizes for 12 furlongs. Go, Come on over. Join the contest. It's not going to cost you anything. Take a few minutes. Come to winningponies.com. Uh, you can get 150 in cash for the top prize. Uh, and then winners, the second through the sixth, are going to get uh, winning credits uh, for the site. You can pull down the easy win forms. Uh, if uh, if you're, you're balding like me, you can get a baseball cap if you finish uh, 7th through 12th. And, of course, give us the final time. The best with the final time is going to win a winning ponies T-shirt. And the contest closes. We're giving you a lot of time, 6 o'clock on Belmont Day on Saturday. So I want to thank uh, Marty McGee and Claire Novak, uh, two award winners and good people, good handicappers for joining us here on Winning Ponies. I want to thank you for listening. Spread the word to your friends because this show's on podcast. If they missed it, they can listen. Well, as I look out over the manicured turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I wish you all nothing but the best of luck on Belmont Day. But do remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.